heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to uh, share our memory verse this morning, John 1, 14. Uh, let's stand as we do so. It starts out, and the Word. Ready? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be in chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. I want to read that for you. Starts out in 33 by saying, Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again, he sent out. I, I chuckle at that because I think, okay, you're going to beat one, stone one, and kill one. Again, he sent the other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. And then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his son. They said among themselves, This is, uh, seize his inheritance, excuse me. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in his eye, in, in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on its, on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard of his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. At this point in Matthew's gospel, it's the beginning, marking the beginning of the end. Jesus has entered Jerusalem and he knows that he's going to be uh, killed there. And the priests and the elders have been questioning him, not to learn from him, but in order to trap him to give an excuse or to gain an excuse to arrest him. So Jesus speaks these parables directly to these men to refuse or who refuse to submit to his authority. He shares a story about a landowner who leases his vineyard. 
And after he leased his, his property, that landowner moved away. And when it was time to harvest the grapes, the landowner sent three employees back to pick up the shares of the harvest. Tenants decided they didn't want to pay rent, so they beat one up, killed one, and stoned the other one. And when the landowner heard what had happened, he sent a large group of employees thinking there would be enough strength in numbers for them to gather the harvest. But the rebellious tenants killed every single employee that the landowner sent. And so finally the landowner sends his son. And after he tells this story, Jesus asks those who are listening, what do you think the landowner is going to do to those tenants for killing his employees and his own son? And before we find out how the listeners answered that question, let's rewind the clock about 30 hours. We celebrate every year Palm Sunday. It's coming up. Boy, can you imagine... Here we're almost uh, April, I guess, is tomorrow, isn't it? April Fool's Day. <laughs> we'll get up to freezing weather on April Fool's Day. But Jesus entered Jerusalem and was very popular coming in, wasn't he? The uh, palm leaves laying down and the cheers and the accolades and all that. Only a week later... To be on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Actually it wasn't even a week. Just a few days later he was on the cross. And then he rose on the third day. Hallelujah. Because had he not risen. Then we. We really have no hope over death do we? Death is the final thing. Not now. Ken Rose uh, was an elder here years and years ago. And Ken used to say this. He'd say, you can die once to die twice. No, see, you can be born once to die twice or born twice to die once. Yeah, that's it. And that second birth is that born again. Being born again. The outpouring of the crowds grabbed the attention of the Bad guys here in Jesus' story, so this, they were afraid to do too much to him and to his followers, even though they wanted to really just silence him, for fear, as we saw in our text, that the multitudes would gather and retaliate against them. There's just something about a mob rule, isn't there? <laughs> they believed that the most effective way to diffuse the popularity of Jesus was to discredit him. And especially to do it publicly. There's something about that public humiliation that takes its toll. They tried that tactic several times before, it, before and it had always failed. But this time, they thought they had his number. The followers of Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, were talking publicly about Jesus being the one. You know, the one who would restore Jerusalem, bring the temple back. The one who would kick Rome out of Judea. There had been false messiahs before Jesus. 
But they couldn't heal the sick like he did. Or raise the dead like he did. Jesus was special. And at least his massive gathering of followers, they thought so. Why do you gather on Sunday morning at church, week in and week out? Because you believe in what Jesus has done for you. That's why you come week in and week out. They were convinced, these people, these followers of Christ. But so the Pharisees, the high priests in the Sanhedrin, had to figure out a way to convince the crowd that he was a phony. If they failed, Caesar would execute them. If Jesus won, his followers would execute them. So with their lives on the line, these bad guys went after Jesus, and especially the credibility of Jesus in public. If they could discredit him, they would win. Who gave you the right? Who gave you your authority? They asked him. If Jesus answered God, according to Jewish law, they could arrest him on the spot for heresy. And God didn't give his authority away to mere mortals. And if Jesus said his authority came from any other source, including himself, they could discredit him as a fake. They believed this was the way to get to him. And with one question, they could either have him arrested and held for trial or publicly humiliate him. Either way, it would silence the troublemaker once and for all. And wow, we can get on with our agenda. Why do people have agendas? The only agenda that we ought to have is that we're going to seek and save the lost and bring as many in with us as we can before we go. That ought to be our agenda. But boy, there's people that have hidden agendas, especially in churches, and I never have figured that out yet. What do you hope to accomplish? Are you going to become more important than Jesus himself? Because if we're, if I'm going to follow my agenda that I believe God has placed on my heart, I mean, that's one thing. But on the other hand, what do I hope to accomplish on the back end of that if I got the If I got the authority, what am I going to do with it? I didn't hang on the cross for anybody. Didn't do it. So have you ever thought about that? Is that something to think about? What if you were given that authority? Would you be able to handle it in the balanced manner that God does? Man, that would be a tough task, wouldn't it? Tough task. Now, let's look back at our story of the landowner and the, and the question that Jesus asked his, uh, con- at the conclusion of his parable. When he says, what do you think the landowner is going to do to these tenants for killing the employees and his own son? Great question. Jesus was the master questioner. <laughs> Did you ever notice as you read through the Gospels how time and time again Jesus would take what was said to him and formulate a question? He wanted them to think. We have so many teachers and preachers who will tell you what to think rather than challenge you to think. 
when I was going through Bible college. And we have Mark Barrier. And he's coming, by the way, again in May with us. Always a a joy to have him here, he and Paula. Mark would always teach us. He said, I can tell you what I think. But what I want you to do as your professor is I want you to formulate your own thought about this passage. He said, you, I want to give you the tools to come up with an answer for yourself about what does that passage mean. Because see, that's what's really important. Because that's what's going to drive you to keep living for Christ is if you truly believe what you've read in the Scripture. Amen. I can tell you what I believe and I can almost maybe persuade you to believe what I believe. But what good is that? You're putting your faith then in what I say over than what God's Word says. Never do that. Never let a preacher get you to that position where you believe that preacher over what God's Word says. Because you're going to read the Bible and the Bible... You and I can sit down with a verse of Scripture, can't we? And walk away from the table and not have the same understanding of that verse of Scripture. We'll have differing understandings of that verse of Scripture. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit is working with you where you are at that moment. You see. Whether you've grown this much or whether you've grown this much or whether you've grown this much... He's got you where he he has you so he can teach you. And your understanding and your level of involvement in the word is going to matter how that hits you. And that's exactly where we are with this story. The political figures who were trying to discredit Jesus knew immediately who Jesus was talking about. They knew that in this story, the employees of the landowner were the prophets sent to the Israelite people who they harassed, beat up, stoned, killed, and tortured. And now, for the first time, they also understood that Jesus was referring to himself as the son in this story. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. That the landowner was God and that they were the wicked tenants. Who do you think God's going to do to those who killed his prophets and his son? That's pretty obvious who he's talking about, right? They heard the question loud and clear. Understood exactly what he meant. But they refused to believe him. And many still do today. You know that as well as I do, because you've been inviting them to church to come with you, haven't you? Yes, you have. I know you have. And yet they reject your invitation time and time and time and time again. We had breakfast this morning. Every fifth month that has a fifth Sunday in it, we're going to do breakfast at nine in lieu of Sunday school and just fellowship and encourage each other boy that was great it was it's great to come into the church and to have that breakfast smell you know going in various forms and fashions and there was plenty of variety and just oh it was wonderful i I think the next one is when is the next somebody tell me when the next fifth sunday is june okay so in june we'll have another one 
And uh, we'll hopefully we won't have sewer issues and we can get communication out uh, well enough for everybody to be a part of it. But just bring, uh, we, we had a lot of those breakfast casseroles this morning and, uh, boy, those were good. Man, it was really good. So in June, you'll want to make sure that you're, you come for that. Uh, why did I slide off on that? I don't know. I don't know why I went over there. But, um, we, we've got to remember that God loves us and cares about us and he wants the best for us. But they refused to believe in Him. They refused, uh, and many today still do. But here's what I've learned from this parable of Jesus. I've learned two things. That God is loving and patient with us all. And here's how I know that He is loving and patient with me. Is that He sent Jesus to save me. God sent Jesus to save me. Many people just simply can't bring themselves to believe in Jesus. They can't see Him. They've never seen Him. They don't think they will ever see Him. It's just this statement of a person that they've never encountered themselves. And therein lies the struggle. Because you can't encounter Jesus until you empty yourself And let Him begin to fill it again. Does that make sense to you? You've got to get out of the way. You've got to surrender yourself to Him. And so many people refuse to do that. Especially those who've been in the faith for a significant period of their life. I call them lifers. Came in, you know, grew up in the church always at church, became a Christian early on at church. And so they didn't make some of the choices in life that others have that, you know, they weren't in a motorcycle gang and found Jesus, you know, after they'd killed 30 people. They didn't do that. They just simply came to the Lord and just because it was what they understood they were supposed to do, going to church at an early age and what they'd been taught, But they are lifers. But what happens with a lifer at times, not all the time, but at times, can happen to a lifer is that they lose the enthusiasm that salvation brings you. They forget from whence they had come. They forget about it. Boy, you should never forget about it. I love to hear you sing on Sundays. I'll get it started, but you'll, you'll notice I drop out from time to time. Because I just want to hear you sing. It just lifts my spirit. It lifts my soul. And and nourishes me. And, you know, we've always done a blend of the hymns plus the contemporary songs. Because I think there's messages in both sides of that. How great is our God. Oh, sing with me how great is our God. Amen? Amen? Yeah, and then we could go, we ought to just sing songs about greatness of God. And then we can shift from that song into uh, uh, How Great Thou Art. There's never been a song written better than that song. How Great Thou Art. Oh, Lord, my God. It just resonates with you, doesn't it? 
Because you see, God sent Jesus to save me. People, wherever you grow up in in this world, you're going to be influenced by some faith group. If you're Japanese, it tends um, to be uh, Buddhist. Uh, If you're in India, it tends to be Hindu. People who live in North Korea, they don't worship any faith. They worship the leader or you don't live much longer there. That's why Jesus commands His followers to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the command that He sends us out with. Some folks don't believe in Jesus because they've been disillusioned with Him. Things haven't gone the way they thought it was going to go. Preachers have made promises that never held up. Christians speaking out against each other in the, in the body. Just differing reasons why people fall away from God and don't want anything to do with Him. It's not God that did any of this stuff. It's humans trying to get through. Amen? It's hard to get through. It's hard to keep walking sometimes. And we walk all over ourselves. Because by golly, I want what I want in spite of what everybody else wants. It doesn't matter because I want what I want. We've got two of our grandchildren living with us. and Boy, they fight every day. Those two boys do. Every morning I tell Cindy, I said, I said boy, they're up again. Here we go. You know, we're way back in our bedroom and you can hear them from, I'm, I'm surprised the police haven't been out to our house. Not yet. But no matter the reason for a person's disbelief, God is patient. Have you noticed that in your own life? How patient God is with you and with those around you? 2 Peter 3 9 says, God is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You see, the number one thing that you have to do if you're going to come to Christ as your Savior is you're going to have to repent. And that's one of those Bible words that a lot of people don't get. What do you mean I got to repent? What is repent? It means you're going to stop. And turn and go in a different direction. It's a military term. In the Bible days, as the soldiers would march, they would yell, Repent right, repent left, repent abroad. And they would turn. Because that's what it means. It means to stop, pivot, and turn and go a different direction. So if you're, in, if you're not in Christ, you've got to stop, pivot, and go in a different direction. Have you noticed, however, that as you've walked in God, that you have to still do some gut checks? And you need to stop and repent and turn back to God. It's because you're starting to drift. And drifting's not a good place to be. You want to stay on that narrow road that leads to life everlasting. Not that broad, uh, 
avenue that leads to destruction. Many are going to go that way. Fewer are going to cut off over this way. But be one of the few. What's that marine thing? The few, the proud. and the, you know. Yeah, be, be part of the few. People have been killing prophets since God started sending them. People killed his son. We're all responsible for that death, by the way. Because at the cross, he took upon himself the sins beginning at Adam. Through us, all the way up to when Jesus will return. And all those sins came upon him at the cross. And he became the one sacrifice that could pay the price for our sin. And because of that sacrifice, you and I have hope today. The guilt of sin wiped away. Wow. That's just, that's, that's incredible to stop and contemplate. Because under the old covenant, they had to offer these animals and the blood sacrifices annually and more, more than annually. They, all throughout the year they had to offer these things on certain festivals and it was just, it was monotonous and it was painstaking and it was ugly to watch the high priest sit there and slit the throat of these animals and, and they had to be the best animal. It wasn't the worst animal, it was the best animal. And there was a lot of money and tied up, could be tied up in that animal. And yet, the high priest, to collect the blood, to present before God. And Jesus took care of that. It leads me to, my, to the second thing that I've learned from this text, is that I was created to live in victory, not defeat. I was created to live in victory, not defeat. God sent Jesus to the earth because He loves us. God wants us to live with Him forever. And the only way that was going to, that, that was going to happen was for Jesus to be born as a human being, live on the earth, die, and then claim victory over death. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Though your life is taken, we've read, uh, hopefully you've been hearing of the atrocities of the Christians in Nigeria. Where they, where the uh, Muslims have gone in and just slaughtered these people, women and children. Didn't care about the men, just women and children. Because you want to take your women out because there are your reproduction folks. They're the only ones who can reproduce. Men can't do it. We'd weenie out after one. But boy, the women. Got to take the women out. 
And the children don't want the children to grow up and learn about the Lord and begin to teach that, you see. There isn't anything on earth that can claim victory over my life. I defeat this world and everything in it because of who Jesus is. I mean, you see time and time again people that have tremendous infirmities that rise above it and will always give God the glory. I've, I've never, very, very rarely do you hear folks who overcome things, physical uh, ailments in life, that don't have some appreciation that God helped them get past it. And get through it. It's, it's so important. I read a story about a preacher that had a son named Lyndon. L-I-N-D-E-N. Lyndon. thought that was an interesting name. I'd, I'd never run across that name before. But in his preschool graduation ceremony, uh, Lyndon was uh, five years old. And the graduates had been dismissed from the stage and the crowd of parents and grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, second cousins, siblings, were all dismissed at the same time. Uh, this preacher goes on to say he was recording video with one hand and trying to get Lyndon's attention with the other. But there were a lot of people in the room and all of them were talking and visiting and children were laughing and running around. It was kind of chaotic. Lyndon was looking for us in the middle of all of this, and I could see him, but he couldn't see me. I called his name, but he didn't hear me. He was too distracted by all the commotion around him. His mom was talking to someone and wasn't aware that Lyndon was trying to find her. So I walked a couple more steps and zoomed the recording on Lyndon's face. Again, I called out to Lyndon and waved at him, but he still didn't hear or see me. I walked a few steps closer. Again, I called out. Again, he couldn't hear or see me. I walked with the video camera in hand until I was only about two feet away. But I was behind him. I called again. No answer. I was about a foot away standing behind him. And what grabbed me about this story and reminded me so much of how all of us are. God wants our attention. He demands that attention. He deserves that attention. God is so close to us, and yet we are so distracted by the world's commotions and activities that we miss seeing Jesus every day. All you've got to do is open your eyes. Just open your eyes. You'll see it in the smile of a child or in the handshake of a couple of friends or in a a hug that somebody gives you. I love love Charlotte. Charlotte and I have become buddies. And the first thing that Charlotte wants to do when she sees me, she says, oh, there's my pastor. She comes and starts hugging all over me. That's dangerous when a preacher starts hugging on women other than his wife. But I don't hug her back. I just lean. No, I don't either. I I hug her back. Because there's just something special about 
embrace, isn't there? And when I can embrace God in the same way that Charlotte and I can embrace, well, there's something special about that. Only Jesus is, is the eternal life that you need to be looking for. Don't listen to the lies that Satan brings about God and about Jesus. Don't believe the lie that God is responsible for all the suffering and the evil of the world. He is not. He never has been and He never will be. He's the only answer to all of the suffering of the world. God sent Jesus to save me because He doesn't want me to live in defeat but in victory. I have a picture to show you as we close. I, I hope. It's not there. Well, glory to God. I was going to show you a picture of a capstone. Because I wondered what a capstone looked like. As you build a, an archway like this, the capstone is that middle stone. That you build off of. It's what holds that thing together. Then he says that he is the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. That cornerstone is what you build from as well. Because it becomes the anchor that makes the wall stand. Or the doorway stand. Do you understand what I'm saying? Without Jesus... You don't have the foundation that you're going to need to withstand the attacks from the evil one. So never forget that. And as our text read, that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the capstone, and He is the one the builders rejected. Don't reject Him. Don't reject Jesus. Another day, another moment. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. <laughs> but don't reject Him. Don't let the world's stresses cause you to walk away from your loving, gracious, kind, Heavenly Father. Don't ever do that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for this morning. Thank You for opportunity we have just to gather and sing and greet and hug and hear a message from your word. May we never forget that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so envious and jealous of Jesus because Jesus rose to prominence in such a quick fashion. And Father, Father, people followed Him for various reasons. Many because they were just enamored with Him. that He could do these mighty miracles of raising people from the dead. They'd never seen that before. And so, God, I'm grateful that they came because of that. But then there were others who began to connect the dots and see that He was truly the Messiah that you were sending. That was recorded in the Old Testament. That they had read about since they were little children. And their opportunity to respond to Him and to find 
forgiveness of sin. The debt load of sin be washed away. God, is there one here today that would say, Preacher, I've been drifting. I need to get back into that narrow path. Would you encourage them today? Would you lift their spirits today? Perhaps there's somebody here today that's facing a health crisis that we don't even know about. Would you give them the courage to fight one day at a time? Maybe there's a marriage that's going awry or children that have gone off the uh, deep end or jobs that have ceased and people looking for employment. God, would you just provide for those in the way that you know how. Father, we love you. We don't always show it. But we need to let you know how much we love you and care about you. And so, God, I'm grateful for everyone here today. And if there's one, there's one that needs to claim you. There's one that needs to get closer to you. Would they do it today? In Jesus we pray. Amen.